Well, if you've got your Bible, you want to open it to James chapter 2, and I'll, for those of you that haven't been with us, I'll just give you a brief overview um, of chapter 1. One one is an introduction, and it just talks about us being bond servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're bound to serve. That is the attitude with which we should see this entire uh, letter, that we, by God's grace, have been called into a relationship with Jesus Christ, and that we're to live that out. And James gives us 60 commands in this particular letter, in these five chapters, for us to live out. And so in the chapter 1, 2 through 18, we see that God... Uh, That is a testing of our faith. They come in trials and temptations. In that first part, 2 through 12, we see that he grows us in trials. We want to count it all joy because trials will lead us into perfect sanctification. He says, "Let let your steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And then in 13 through 18, we saw that God gives us grace in those temptations, that we shouldn't be deceived, we shouldn't blame God, we shouldn't blame the situation, but God gives us the gospel and he gives us the power through the gospel to live that life out. And last week in 19 through 27 that we see God guides us in really through through his word so that we can live a gospel-centered life, that he gives us his word and he expects us to live it out. And really what, what happens in two through five now is just an expansion. How do you live out that word? And you're going to see today in two, one through 13, but we're going to see what it means to commit the sin of partiality and how not to commit that sin. And so let's read together James 2, 1 through 13. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, uh, you stand over there or sit down by my feet, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you've been called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point, has become accountable for all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not commit murder. And if you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are judged under the law of liberty. For judgment without, is without mercy on the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Father, again, we pray and just thank you for that word. We pray as we unfold it now and we apply it to our lives that you would be glorified above all things and that we would bring good to the world. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have you ever been shunned because of your height? 
Ever been the last kid picked in a playground sports game? Ever been shunned because of your weight or your social status or maybe even because you have body art? I would go so far as to say I don't think there's a person in this room that has never been shunned. Maybe it's because of your race or because of your of your personality or something. But somewhere along the way in our lives, we have been looked down upon because of something about us. You see, we do live in a prejudiced world. And as Christians, we need to know how to address this favorite pastime of favoritism. And a lot of people come to this particular issue or maybe even this text and say it really only deals with the rich and the poor or with races. But I hope as we leave today, we will see that this sin goes far deeper. And we'll learn from James one. James 2, 1 through 13, how to live as believers who show no partiality. And so what you're going to see if you're following on your outline there is is a gripping exhortation. You're given a general illustration. We're called to listen to reason. There will be three, a triad of reasons there, and then a gospel conclusion. And so James begins with the first verse, and we could stay here all day. It literally reads, and I think the New American Standard gets it best, do not hold your faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with an attitude of personal favoritism. The ESV says, my brothers, do show no partiality as you hold the faith. But literally, it says, hold the faith, and it tells you how. By showing no partiality. Do not hold your faith with an attitude of personal favoritism. The other translations besides the New American miss that first idea. The the command isn't really show no partiality. It's hold to the cross without showing favoritism. And so the first thing I want to ask today is do we cling to the cross? I like that term, holding to the faith. Do we grip the cross in our life? Not literally um, the cross, but do we grip that concept of the gospel every single day in our lives? Or is it something we've maybe put on the shelf? Yeah, you know, I I did that. I I bowed the knee in in third grade or whatever it was for us, college. It's on the shelf. Do we grip it? Do we hold to, and it's faith in Christ? And this is the second time. The only other time in James it's mentioned is 1-1. James, a servant or a slave, a bondservant of the Lord, of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ in here. Hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you cling to the cross? Do I cling to the cross every day? Are we clinging? Are we holding tight to that good news, that message of the gospel? Secondly, how do we cling to the cross? And do we do that with an attitude of favoritism or partiality? The way it is written, it could be said, stop holding to the cross with partiality. And you'll see later on, maybe they were, there were some in the congregation giving deference to the rich. So what is partiality? What is favoritism? If we're going to talk about this for the next few minutes, what, what is this? And it literally is to receive someone according to their face. Or as one pastor uh, I listened to this week said it, it's making a value judgment on a person based upon unbiblical criteria. Now, what this does not mean, and what 
many run to is, see, you can't make a judgment. And that's just not true. Because Jesus said in John 7.24, He says this, Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So it's not this uh, once for all getting rid of net, you're not to judge. That is the unbeliever's favorite verse. They don't even read it in context in Matthew. They come to Matthew 7 and they say, See, it says, do not judge lest you be judged. But if you read it in context, it says, why don't you take the log out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly to judge your brother. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about making value judgments on people based upon unbiblical criteria. And this also doesn't mean that you can't have a group of friends that you uh, desire to be with more than others. David had Jonathan and his mighty men. If you read that in in first and second Samuel, you'll see within those mighty men there was the thirty, and then there was the three, and then J- David was best friends with Jonathan. You'll see Christ had the inner three, and in that you find out in the book of John there was the one whom Jesus loved that he that he laid upon his breast, and so that it's not saying we can't have close friends. Paul had a special bond. He wrote pastoral letters to Timothy and Titus, but he seems if you if you read it. He's given two letters to Timothy, and in just the language he uses, he had a special bond with Timothy. But it's about making right judgments, not based on outward appearance. One of the best examples in the Bible of this is Solomon in 1 Kings 3. He prays for wisdom, and immediately the next day, two prostitutes walk in. And he doesn't look at them and value them because of their choice of business. He listens to their situation, and he rightly divides And he rightly divides it with wisdom. And he says, no, no, give that child to this one. So he didn't, he wasn't partial. He didn't say, oh, these are prostitutes. Why does it matter? He chose to be wise. So when we make value judgments based upon unbiblical criteria, we're clinging to the cross in a way we shouldn't. He says, do not cling to the cross like this. And he gives you an illustration. He says, for, for instance, if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, I was almost, I was this close, this close to having Sheldon come in today with a three-piece. You know, I mean, just, you know, he's got like eight of them. Just, kidding. No, just coming in in a three-piece shoes, your suit, just flashy watch and just kind of coming up like right as I was teaching, and then have Chris Ember come in. And, you know, just like just the old T-shirt with pits and just oh, jeans and, and flip-flops and having them come in at the same time and me saying, hey, brother, in the three-piece suit, come sit by the debates or by my wife and then and, and you, uh, Mr. Ember, uh, yeah, you can sit here <laughs> or maybe over there. But I didn't. It would have been a good illustration, wouldn't it? But I didn't. And then it says in 3, and if we pay special attention to this one who comes in in the three-piece suit, the Armani, and you say, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, you sit down by my feet, have you not made distinctions among yourself? So we see the situation of partiality in verse 2, the action of it by showing uh, preference in 
3, and then in verse 4, you see the motivation. Making distinctions among yourselves. If you see that word distinction, it is the exact same word used in verse 8. He is a double-minded man. You're trying to live the Christian life holding to two competing thoughts. One that says you're to love all people, and the other that says I'm making a distinction based on an outward appearance. And so the principle here in these first four verses is that favoritism reveals a divided heart and a filthy heart. Playing off verse 21, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. There's your general illustration. There are more as we will see. And then he gives you in 5 through 11 reasons. Reasons not to show partiality. First and foremost, God doesn't show partiality. So number one, the number one reason why we shouldn't show partiality is God doesn't show partiality. It is ungodly to show partiality. He says in 5, Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Now this does not mean that if, if your economic status puts you into the poor category, God has chosen you without you ever trusting in him, right? Because some could read that, well, see, God chooses the poor, but that's not true. One problem with this view that all poor are are believers is that if God elected them by that means, then we should never try to get them out of poverty, then they wouldn't be saved. (laughs) Right? You get them out of poverty, all of a sudden they're not saved. No, God is on the side of the poor, not because they are poor, but it says they're rich in faith and they love Him. It's because... As I have seen it played out in my life, those who do not have as much know that they're, they're dependent and they're more dependent and they make that connection easier to trusting in someone outside themselves. Jesus said it is very hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. We live in a valley, especially if you go up 20 miles where people say, I don't need anything. House on the mountain, epic pass, um, Beamer, job, vacations where it's sunny. What do I need? Why do I need God? I have a friend that wanted me to fill out for her uh, a, a reference. She's doing apartment life in Dallas, and the community she's chosen to live in is in downtown Dallas. It's called Mosaic. And it's like, in the, I just received this week, she said, please pray because because I'm in a community where they don't need anything. Just pray that God would show their need. And so I said I would. Uh, but it's not just about meeting needs. What it is is, is we're, we're being ungodlike when we show partiality because God doesn't show partiality and we dishonor what God honors. And that's the key issue. See, it's not just a rich or poor issue. It's not. It goes deeper than being rich or poor. Besides economic partiality, there are, I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, ten other things. I'm sure some of us fall into these. I know I have as well at one time or another. There's the biggest one, racial partiality. That because of the color of the skin or, or whatever it might be, that we start to treat people differently because of racial partiality. It's not just that, but there's also physical partiality. Size of people, how they wear their hair, whether or not they have body art, 
if they're attractive or not. We, we start to make divisions among the body because of physical partiality. Then there's political partiality. Right? We can do this. We can say, oh, they must not know the Lord because they are of said political party. Or there's theological partiality. This is where it starts to hit at home. Now I'll begin with a few jokes just to lighten the mood. We, we, we hold partiality because if somebody were brought up in some said denomination, we kind of, if we had a bad rub with that denomination, we might not view them the same way. Right? How many Christians does it chain, take to change the light bulb? You've heard these before. Pentecostals, 10, one to change the light bulb, and nine to pray against the spirit of darkness. Roman Catholics, they'd use candles only. Baptist, 15, one to change the light bulb, and then three committees to approve the change, decide brings who, who brings the potato salad and the fried chicken. I was told this week that it's very similar to the Church of Christ. We'll loop, lump them in with him. Methodist, they're undetermined whether your light is bright or dull or completely out. You're loved. You can be a light bulb, a turnip bulb, or a tulip bulb. The church-wide lighting service is planned for Sunday. Bring your bulb and your covered dish. Or the Amish, right? What is the light bulb? <laughs> How about if you're a Calvinist? Yeah, Calvinist, God predestined whether the light should be changed or not. If you're an Arminian, one man, because man's responsibility to change every situation. Or if you're a televangelist, uh, just one, but for the message of light to continue, please send your donation today. And we'll end with the liberals, at least 10. They need to debate on whether or not the light bulb even exists. And if they agree that the light bulb exists, they still may not change to keep from alienating those who might use other forms of light. But we can do this. Within our, we can have denominational prejudices. We could have devotional prejudices. And you're like, what do you mean devotional prejudices? I mean, there may be a few in here who think, well, oh, we just need to sing the hymns. And we need to sing them from a hymn book. That's the way to do it. And others would say, no, the hymns are old, they're outdated, we need to sing contemporary music. Did you know, you lovers of hymns, they were once contemporary. <laughs> when they were first done in like the song, they were contemporary. And they've become hymns because they've stood the test of time. And, and most hymns that I know and we sing here are those that hold to great theological truths. Yet... They're older. And so we need to hear how a new generation puts praise of God in song. There's old songs versus new songs, even within them. Oh, that's an old 80s song. This is a new 90s song or a new 21st century song. Or there's that devotional, well, we don't do video songs here. We do. Especially when the one who leads our worship through song is gone. There's theological partiality. And then there's the more subtle partiality. There's philosophical partiality. The person that doesn't just see the world like you see, you can put off. Or the person who's just not as sharp as you. There's intellectual partiality. You know, you can say, well. Then there's the person who is just not as trendy as you are. Right? I mean, they're just, they're more traditional. I'm hip. I, I have cuts in my pants bottom like that my wife showed me today she said daddy you've got a hole in your pants and I said that's trendy it's trendy 
But we, we, but we can make we can make distinctions. We can we can start to separate. Well, I am of this type of group of people because we're more blue collar and we work and we do this. Or I'm more of this type because I'm I'm a coach teacher and I'm involved in kids and we're really hitting it. Or I, 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 right? I do this. We're a person whose whose kids are different than ours, and so we can have parental prejudice. Oh, I'm so glad my kids aren't like them. Or we can have professional partiality. My ranch is bigger than your ranch, or my clients are bigger than your clients, or um, my congregation is bigger than your congregation, or we have better practices at my firm than you do. We don't articulate it like that, but if we're not careful, we think like that. We think like that. So partiality is ungodly. God doesn't think like that. God didn't think like that. I'm sure glad God didn't pigeonhole me, right? Because I went to, and I only went there, I'm not, I'm not even going to try to defend it, I went to a school in Dallas that is known for, if you walk on the campus, there's a lot of beamers and other things, and I'm sure they somebody made that false interpretation. See me get into a beamer, like, oh, he's one of those rich kids from Highland Park, blah, blah, blah. No, he's actually a no. He's a he's a poor kid from Oklahoma who's just borrowing his roommate's car. Don't show partiality. It's ungodly. I'm sure glad God didn't pigeonhole me when He sent His Son. More on that in a minute. And so in six B through seven, He says, "Are you are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name which?" Most of the commentators say that is the name Christian by which you've been called. His point in this is, this is where where we can go back and say, stop holding to the cross with an attitude of partiality. You're sitting here giving favor to the rich, and they're the ones that turn you in. You've heard, do not bite the hands that feed you. Well, at least in this situation, they were feeding the hand that bit them. Here's the second point. It's it's unwise. You're not you're, when you when you're not thinking God's thoughts and you start to think your thoughts. It's unwise. And the most important, if you really fulfill the royal law, verse eight, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. It's a loving thing. It is the most loving thing. To bring in and, and let me use this word and I'm going to have to tweak it, to accept people, right, into your church, into your home, not based on outward appearances, etc. And that doesn't mean you don't try to guide them in God's truth. This is where some have taken it too far and said, see, you're to be all accepting of, we'll just use the one that's hot today, homosexuality. That's taking this and turning it way towards uh, Satan. The idea is, yes, we acknowledge. And I, I hope, and I hope it goes out from this pulpit, this sermon, that, that anyone in this valley, anyone in here, anybody that's struggling with that, we want you to come here and we want to love on you, but we're not going to uh, 
just accept it and say we're we're sh- we're not showing partiality. No. Go back to the definition. You make it a value a value judgment based on unbiblical criteria. Unbiblical criteria. It's unloving. And he says, don't show partiality. But if you show partiality when you do this, guess what you're doing? You may think, oh, I mean, that's it's no big deal. I'm just kind of I'm just favoring one over the other. No. James says you're committing sin. Love James. He's like John, real clear. You're committing sin, and you're convicted by the law as transgressors, and then he breaks out in two verses just to show you if you think that uh, God looks down and he sees this, quote, little sin and just kind of blows over it, you're wrong. For whoever keeps the whole law and fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. Jesus talked about the, the, the least of these commands that you loosen. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not commit murder. And if you don't commit if you do not commit adultery but do murder, you've become a transgressor of the entire law. And so he's talking about this idea of the law is not just as some had taken taken it a set of rules to check off the entire thing. You notice he he quotes from the Decalogue, the 10 commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder. And he quotes from the case law that comes out from that in Leviticus 19.18, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he put basically what James does here, like Jesus did, just following in his brother's footsteps. He takes the Ten Commandments and the case law, the whole Old Testament, and says the whole idea of this is it's to be loving because God loved you. He saved you out of Egypt. He split the the river. He brought you through it. And he revealed himself not only in these commandments, but he had you build this tabernacle so you could see his glory. And he's saying, when you do this, you go against that God. It is ungodly. It is unwise. It is unloving. The least of these. So partiality isn't just a, a lesser sin. If you speed or if you run over someone purposefully in your car, which happened in Houston a few years back, they caught her on video. Both of those? Now, is this one a little more heinous? Yes. But if you've done this one or this one, you've broken the whole law. If you cheat just a little bit on your taxes or you embezzle millions, this one obviously has a lot more repercussions than this. Um, God doesn't just, oh, really? oh that's, that's okay. You didn't really harm anyone. That's sin. If I were to take, if the Dubais wanted to paint one of their walls white, and I brought them some white paint, and I said, hey, I got some white paint on the way over. I just dropped a drop of red paint in there. Is that okay with you? They would go, no. It's no longer white. It's no longer pure. It's kind of a really, 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 really light pink. It would be the same if I poured a whole cup in there, but it, it taints it. And so partiality It's not just rich or poor. It's not just the color of our skin. It goes deeper than that. It goes into a divided, filthy heart, and we start to make judgments, and we really, what we do is we set ourselves up as God, and we want to look over, and and we're going to make the decisions. Partiality is ungodly. Partiality is unwise, and partiality is unloving. And you say, why unloving? Why go there? Because Jesus went there. He wraps it up in the last two verses with a gospel conclusion. So speak 
and so act, that is, conduct your life as those who are judged under the law of liberty. And we've traced every time James has made reference to the word in this letter, he's talking about the gospel. So speak and so act as one who is judged under the gospel. Meaning, the law of the Old Testament was never meant to save you. It was meant to lead you to Jesus. Paul says it like this, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many as you were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for all are one in Christ. The law leads us to the cross and to Jesus. And that verse gets radically misinterpreted. I see males and females here, right? So there are males and females. It's just saying when it comes to our sin, everybody is equal at the cross and everybody is justified by faith at the cross. More on that next week. But we've seen the word of truth in chapter 1, the perfect law, the law of liberty in chapter 1, the indwelling law. Jeremiah said, I will... Take and I'll write the law on your hearts. And it indwells us now. And so this gospel Paul talked about, and here James talks about, should guide us. That we should submit freely to the scriptures because they are where the truth is and that truth sets us free. He says, so speak and so act, so conduct your life as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. I don't want to be judged by the Old Testament law. I want to be judged by the gospel. In fact, I don't know the exact verse, but Paul goes on to say the law of Christ in Galatians and 2 Corinthians. And so that is where it leads to this odd phrase. For judgment is is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. That if you continually live your life showing no mercy, judgment will have no mercy on you because you are not proving to the world what has happened personally in your own life that you've been changed by an all-merciful God who didn't pigeonhole you, who didn't pigeonhole me, but who through the cross of Christ brought us unto salvation. And he says, mercy triumphs over judgment. That does not mean at the expense of judgment, judgment is still coming. It just means we have confidence in the day of judgment, First John, because we have trusted in Jesus. And you say, well, tell me about this Jesus. Verse 1, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. The Lord Jesus Christ, here's his full name. The Lord hearkens us back to Yahweh, he is God. Jesus, that was his God-given name for Mary and Joseph to name him. You shall name him Jesus, for he will save his people from his sins. Yahweh, He is God. Jesus, He is man. And He is the Christ. He is the Old Testament anticipation of this Savior, the one who would come and save the people. And they kept looking to a physical salvation, and God says, no, it's much deeper than that. 
It's much deeper than that. This Jesus is the one who, when he entered into the world, did not discriminate against anyone. He would go to rich, young rulers. He would go to Samaritan women. He would go to lepers. He would go to anyone and everyone. And he's come for us. And he came and he lived a life that we could not live. He had, he had to fulfill the whole law. Paul says if you, in, in Galatians, he says if you break one law, you break all the law and curse it is the one who hangs on the tree. And Jesus came and he didn't break any of them ever. That's awesome. For 33 years, nothing. Even as a young child, nothing. No whining. No whining. At four years old, he did not get up and whine to his mother. That would have been cool to see. Never whined. Not once. And he lived a life we should have lived. He lived that perfect life the whole time. Even when scorned, he did not return scorn. And he died a death that we should have died. And he did it, as John says, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whoever, red or yellow, black and white, um, whoever, prostitute, whoever, the moral person who's kept his nose clean, who doesn't realize at the core of his heart he's still a sinner because he's still living for himself. Whoever believes in him. That's why it's a heinous sin to show partiality. It's because that Jesus came and he died on the cross for every tribe and every tongue. Listen to this in Revelation. And they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll. Worthy are you, Jesus, to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you've made them a kingdom of priests to our God. And so when we, to finish that, and they shall reign on earth. And so when we show partiality, we are not living like kingdom people. We're living like worldly pagans. And then I looked and I heard and around the throne the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads and thousands upon thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under earth and all that is in them saying to Him who sits on the throne, to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory forever. And they all the elders laid down and they worshipped. It's because this one came and he didn't show partiality and I'll end it with this after this he looked in a great multitude that no one could number could you imagine that being in heaven oh my stuff 785,692 oh can't even number them standing before the throne clothed in white robes from every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages And so do we, here's a couple questions for application. In what ways have we been victims of favoritism or prejudice? And where do you find your, even if you're a victim of that, don't wallow in it. Where do you find your identity? Is it in your clinging to the cross? And have you ever shown favoritism or prejudice towards other people? 
In what ways can we show love to different people, races, and economic standing? Uh, if there were a man to come in here today who had a long beard, and he was kind of sitting over here in, in the corner by himself, and he wore an unusual ski hat, and we kind of showed favoritism to him, we'd be showing favoritism to John Calvin. If a man who came in here and wore a wig and was cross-eyed, and he sat right there and showed favoritism towards him, I, I, I would be showing favoritism to George Whitfield. If a portly man, that's what we'll put here, if a portly man uh, who came in and he kind of reeked a little bit, you could tell he had maybe eaten something bad for dinner and, and you were kind of moving away from him, you may have shown favoritism to Martin Luther. And if a short short guy, or it really wasn't short, but if a, another guy came in, heavier guy, but he was smoking cigars and just kind of kind of raspy, you, you'd show favoritism to Charles Spurgeon. And if a short little bow-legged guy who was bald and had a unibrow came in and couldn't quite speak well, but you knew he could write well, you would be showing favoritism to Paul the Apostle. If a man walked in and he maybe even dressed in today's garb, had his carpenter's pants on. Kind of built and just from being out and kind of sweaty and came in and was, uh, he was different. He was actually touching and loving on everyone and you just think, that's kind of odd. You would be showing favoritism to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we wouldn't, probably he wouldn't stand out and glow because the the uh, scriptures say he was had no appearance that we should just fall in love with his appearance. He was just a normal guy who was also God who came for everyone. And so to show partiality is a sin because God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit don't show partiality. Father, I know in my own life I am convicted guilty of this particular sin. Not so much between rich and poor, but there are other things in my life I could name. And so I ask for your forgiveness. And I know that I have been forgiven for all my sins, but I want an ongoing relationship with you, an ongoing fellowship with you. So I ask for forgiveness. I pray if there's anyone else in here who maybe even did it today, that they would come to you, ask for your forgiveness. And I pray if there's anyone in here or anyone listening that has never bowed the knee who wouldn't want to be called a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, if there's a person like that who thinks they understand better how to live life than you do, I pray that they would not only confess the sin of partiality, but they would confess the deeper sin of pride and that they would bow their knee to the impartial God who loves all people and desires all people to come to know. Father, we can pray these things and not fear judgment, and we can pray these things with boldness because we pray them in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you for him. Lord Jesus, I thank you for what you've done for us. I pray in your name. Amen.